0: Thank you so much for visiting us online today. We believe God wants to speak to you through the following message. If you would like to connect with us or send us your prayer request, visit us at kingsgatehobs.com. So the Apostle Paul, amen somebody, the Apostle Paul is preaching in Antioch, or about to preach in Antioch of Pisidia, all right? So they're in church on the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. say, man, well, why do we do it on a Sunday now? The the, in the Old Testament, they did it on, 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 you know, Saturday. That was the Lord's Day. Well, now we call it the Lord's Day Sunday because it's the day that Jesus resurrected. So how many of you know it doesn't matter which day you go to church on. You just need to go to church. How many of you know that? Very important. And you should have a Sabbath for your life, meaning you should have a rest day every week. But these folks are here on the Sabbath, so they're on a Saturday, right? And verse 16 they just asked him, say, hey, brothers, y'all got a word for the church? Check this out. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them. <laughs> he said, y'all just asked me to speak. Now everybody be quiet, I guess, right? And he started speaking. He said, men of Israel. He's speaking to Jewish folks. He said, and you God-fearing Gentiles. Listen to me. So he's covered everybody. What's a Gentile again? Most of us, a non-Jew. You're not Jewish. All right? Verse 17. He's going to get into a story here. He says, The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them what? Multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. Why do you think he says with a powerful arm? Well, it means that God wasn't messing around. He meant business, and he started to work all kinds of miracles and judgments in Egypt. Y'all remember that, right? When God brought Moses and the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt he put up with him don't you love that phrase I feel like the longer I've been married the more I can say that about my wife as she puts up with me what, is, what does that mean to you? I got some ladies smiling especially some of the men are like mm, if you only knew right what is putting up with what does that mean to you anybody want to respond on that I won't bring the mic to you and if if the young lady wants to respond again she has a loud voice you will hear her the mom, mom and dad over there who adopt a lot of kiddos. So, what is putting up with somebody? Yes, ma'am. Begrudgingly. <laughs> that's a pretty strong answer there. That's good. You you read a lot. You have a good vocabulary. That's good. Kind of dealing with, it's like okay, I'm gonna deal with you again, just kind of begrudgingly. Okay, what is what is putting up with? What say that again? Ah, uh, okay. Well, and God, and God said, yeah, we're different. I need to make y'all holy, but I'm ready to whip all of y'all and destroy all of y'all. I mean, you guys remember when God brought the kids out of Egypt there? The Israelis? They were a mess. Right away, after he'd done all these miracles, what did they do? They put up a golden calf and said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. What? How can a golden calf? Why would you pick a calf? Can you imagine? We're going to worship a calf. That doesn't make any sense. But putting up with is having patience with, dealing with, despite everything, right? Y'all ever had to put up with someone? Uh Uh-huh. All right. And I know that the Lord has had to put up with me. I love reminding myself that I need to forgive people because the Lord has forgiven me. I need to be patient with people. Why? Because God has been patient with me. Are y'all with me tonight? So look at this. Then it moves on. This is the story of Israel in a nutshell. So then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan, and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. Wow. All this took about how long? Right here, according to Scripture, about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Scripture says Samuel the prophet was such a powerful prophet, he served God from such a young age that nothing he spoke fell to the ground. What does that mean? That's a that's a crazy choice of words. I believe that's the only time in scripture in the book of First Samuel that, that that saying is used means that everything he said happened. At one point, the children of Israel said, We know you've been our judge, you've been our Our prophet, but we want a king like the other nations that can lead us into battle. Samuel basically told him, because you've sinned, I'm going to show you that you've sinned. He's speaking to Israel. This is how powerful this prophet was. He says, I'm going to pray, and God is going to bring a thunderstorm and rain, and it's out of season for rain right now. You know how terrifying that would have been? And then everybody wept and said, we've sinned, but we still want a king. So... That's who Samuel the prophet was. He, he anointed the first two kings of Israel, which were Saul, right, and David. Then the people begged for a king, right? We just talked about that. God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul, why? Because Saul wouldn't obey God, and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I've found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Hesitate there. In my Bible reading slash listening today, I came across the chapter in 2 Samuel where David sinned by committing adultery. Now, he was supposed to be out with his army, I feel like Bathsheba could have been innocent in this. I don't know. the, We'll never know till we get to heaven. But Scripture says that David stayed home in the palace the time that kings went out to battle. So it's probably spring when it warms up, right? You don't want to go out to battle in the, in the winter. So for some reason, he didn't go out to battle with the men. He was home hanging out. Maybe Bathsheba didn't know there were many men around. Well, she was bathing outside on a roof. Scripture says she was a beautiful woman. He struggled with lust already. How do you know that about David? We had a bunch of wives. That was one of his weaknesses. You say, well, why would God say he's a man after my own heart? He committed adultery. He asked who the woman was. said, oh, she's the wife of one of your men, Uriah the Hittite. He slept with her. She conceived. Then he tried to cover up his sin by having Uriah come home and sleep with her. He couldn't get him to do it, so he had Uriah killed one of his men. This is David. He had him killed in battle, had him put up in the heat of the battle where he'd die. And then David repented. He said, man, how would he be a man after God's own heart? Well, he was humble, number one. He knew when he had sinned. He said, I've sinned. You've ever heard the psalm? What is it? Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That was written immediately following his sin with Bathsheba. He committed adultery. He had her husband killed. He took her as a wife. Their baby died, the one that was conceived in sin. But then guess what? Their second son was who? Does anybody remember? Solomon, who became a great king of Israel. But David had a problem with lust. He said, man, he... How could he have been a, a man with a, with a heart after God? Like, how? Well, he was humble, and he was a worshiper. He was the great psalmist of Israel. And he wrote his prayers out, and now we read them as psalms, and he's talking about his enemies and the wicked flourishing, or Lord bless me, and he's talking about the righteous and fearing God and being wise. And you see that God honored that David had a humble heart and he was a worshiper. How many of you know it takes faith to worship God? Say, man, worship, isn't that just Sunday morning? No, worship is your lifestyle. Worship is a choice to say, God, I can't do it without you. Worship is prayer. It's the highest form of prayer. And we were talking about this in Bible study last night. You were created to worship. And that's why David was so special to God. He, would re- he was quick to repent, even though he did some crazy stuff. And God knew, though, all in all, look at what he said. Let's, let's read the, it is one of King David's descendants. Let, let's go back One more. Let's do that full verse. I'm sorry. Thank you. God removed Saul, replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I've found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. God knew that eventually David would get it right, and he would put God first and do the right thing. That's powerful. That gives us great hope. And it is one of King David's descendants. Look at this. Jesus who is God's promised Savior of Israel. God honored David so much and loved him so much, he said, I'm going to put the Messiah, the chosen one of God, in your lineage. That is powerful. So before he came, before who? Jesus came. John the Baptist. You guys ever wonder why they call him John the Baptist? Is it because he wasn't Catholic? Is it because he wasn't Presbyterian? Or Methodist? Or, you know, non-denominational? Can you imagine John the non-denominational? That would sound weird. No, John the Baptist just means he actively baptized. A Baptist is one who baptizes. All right? So John the Baptist, some some historians have said that John the Baptist and his disciples could have baptized in excess of a million people. Can you believe that? We're going to baptize four tonight, and we're like, wow, man, that's a lot. Praise God, right? So before he came, John the Baptist, who happened to be Jesus' cousin, preached that all the people of Israel needed to what? Repent of their sins. What does repent mean? It means turn away from your sin. Humbly recognize that it's wrong and start on a different path. I've heard some people unwisely say, Man, I came to God and I did a 360. I hope not. Because a 360 means you were facing this way, you spun all the way around, and you're facing that way again. I think you mean what, an 80, which means you turn and go the opposite direction of your sin in your former life that's what repentance is no people say it i remember jason kidd back in the day one of my favorite basketball players i think he got on the nets he said man i'm gonna help this team to do a 360 i'm like dude you need to read more right he's one of my favorite basketball players i'm like come on jason come on kid come on i think maybe he was stressed out or something he just said john the baptist preached once again that all the people of israel needed to repent you turn away from your sin you go in the opposite direction Repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? This is John the Baptist speaking. He was a mighty man of God. No, I am not. But he is coming soon. Who is the Messiah? The anointed, promised one of God. The chosen one who brings salvation. He is coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to what? Look at this. Be his slave and untie the sandals of his feet. Wow, what a humble statement. So then Paul goes on, Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, he's addressing everyone in the room, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Let's hesitate there just a moment. It says instead they condemned him, but we're going to just stay right there on that screen. Instead, they condemned him. It's crazy that those that studied the Hebrew Scripture, the Old Testament, right? I believe the Hebrew words are the Torah and the um, Ketuvim, the law and the, and the prophets, the law and the words of instruction and different things there, they, they didn't recognize that Jesus Jesus is in every book of the Bible, the Old Testament always pointed to a Savior, always. Moses at one point said, one day the Lord is going to raise you up a prophet like me, and you're going to need to hear his voice. Moses prophesied it a long time before Jesus came, and they didn't recognize him. Many of them did not recognize They didn't recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. My challenge to you online, those listening on the live stream, could be someone in here. But those listening on the live stream, make sure that you recognize Jesus for who He is. He is the one the prophet spoke about. He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one. Years ago, it was a song we used to listen to, man, back in the day. We called it CCM, Christian Contemporary Music, back in the day. The guy named Carmen. Some of y'all have been in the Lord long enough to remember Carmen. And he had a song called, He is the Only One. He is the only one. He's the, the Son of God. He's the only way. That's it. He is the only way. I remember when I was a kid, there was a uh, a shirt, and it, it. I used to love those witness-wear T-shirts, and it had three pictures of Jesus, and it said three ways to get to heaven, which what they mean, it's a joke. It's a play on words. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way. There's only one way to get to heaven. People come up with all kinds of stuff, and they tell you, and it sounds good, right? They say, hey, man, your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds. Well, that. That's from the cartoons. That's not from Scripture. That's from TV. That just sounds good, but it's not accurate. Scripture says, without sacrifice, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So the only way your sins could be taken away, not only covered, but taken away, John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it was for Jesus to be sacrificed. That's why we have that cross there. Not to pray to the cross. No, but the cross is a great reminder of Jesus' sacrifice and what he did, why he did it. So, man, they didn't recognize him, though. They even put him to death. And, you know, many of us as believers now, we go, man, I wouldn't have been one of them. I hope not. I don't know. I'm glad I wasn't back there. to. I, I get to choose now. I get to look back and see the mistakes they made and make the right choice and put Jesus first. But it says they didn't recognize him as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, right? He was whipped mercilessly, beaten, taken to the cross to be executed publicly and shamed. They condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. And they found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. Isaiah 53 speaks about that in detail. If I'm not wrong, I believe... I believe Isaiah 53 was, man, how many years before Jesus? It was several hundred. 800 comes to mind, but don't quote me on that. It was hundreds of years before Jesus was born and lived and died that Isaiah prophesied exactly what was going to happen to Jesus. When they'd done all that the prophecy said about him, what'd they do? They took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. Paul's preaching now. He's speaking to the Gentiles and the Jews, and he's explaining to them the way of salvation. But God raised him from the dead. Why is that such a big deal? Number one, it's a big deal that Jesus was raised from the dead because he said he was going to do it. A lot of people have made claims, huh? A lot of people make claims. They, they make guarantees. We as humans, and it doesn't happen. But he said, he told his disciples, I'm going to suffer and die, but I'm going to be raised from the dead. And they didn't hardly hear him because they were so torn apart when he was killed. God raised Jesus from the dead. Number one, he promised it. Number two, he had to do that to overcome death. Scripture says he destroyed what? Sickness, poverty, and death by his death and resurrection. He put those in a death grip, took them to the grave with him, and he rose up again. God raised him from the dead. Resurrection means there is eternal hope. It means you cannot, you don't have to be touched by the second death. What is the second death? Eternal separation from God. That doesn't have to be an option for you if you accept Jesus. God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the what? People of Israel and to the whole world. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors. And God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God has promised to raise him from the dead, verse 34, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Three years ago, three years ago and four months, this is my baby sister sitting right here in the front row, me and my baby sister, my family, my I, I consider her my other little sister, Valeria, and, and Jen, my wife, who was also very close to my mom as well, like one of us, and my dad and my brother. and we, we all lost my mom to cancer. She'd had a long battle with cancer. And I'll never forget the days, the day of her death especially, but the days following her death when we're grieving, and I had the eternal hope that Scripture gives us. I came to the realization that we believe or we don't. And there was no question in my mind I had such peace. Did you know those that were caring for my mom, they said there's something special about her. One lady, I believe her name was Becky, one of the nurses. She said, I know your mom is right with God, she said, because I've cared for people. She was hospice. She'd come three three times a week, I believe. She was my mom's favorite nurse. And she said, I know she's a woman of God. She's right with God because there's such peace on her. She said, I've come to care for people, men or women who are dying without God and rejecting God, and they were physically feeling like they were burning the days before their death. Miserable, cussing, cursing people, and she said, all I see is peace on your mom. I remember, I think it was, man, a day or two before she died, she said, her vitals are strong, we know she's winding down, it could be weeks, but it was crazy, at some point she just, she was done, and she said goodbye to all of us in her own way. But when she did that, I remember that I had such peace because I knew, I knew by the fruits of her life and her existence that God, more than ever, I knew God was a God of his word. I've, I've always known that, but it was further confirmation that God has a track record, and then he does what he says he's going to do. He took care of mom all the way to heaven. He said, man, well, she died young. She was only 65. Hey, others have lost people much younger than that. We're delighted for the years we have with her. She could have died at 60. That's when they were, she was diagnosed with. It could be any day now. She may have six months. She may have two months to live. She lived another five years. we got more time with her. And all in all, I'm encouraged that I know, I know that I know that I know that our eternal hope is well placed because mom's in heaven. And we're not going to get weird on you, and I don't, I don't talk to my mom. No. But I'll be honest with you. I've told the Lord something, because I talk to the Lord in the name of Jesus. I talk to the Father in the name of Jesus. I talk to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, that's crazy. It's the Lord. It's God. He's one in three and three in one. He is one God manifested in three persons, but he makes one, one God. And he created us in his image. We are spirit, soul, and body. But I've told the Lord before, tell mom. We're doing great. (laughs) Because I know where she is. And there's a verse in Scripture that says, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Man, she could be in heaven just cheering us on right now. And I know, I just love this verse. Another psalm explains it more fully. This is to Jesus, though. He's the one who rose again in three days, said you will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave. Wow, because he rose again, we have eternal hope because he rose again. Man, I know where mom is because he rose again. You know where your family is who served God and went on into heaven. Praise God for hope. Let's go on to that next verse. Look at this. This is not a reference to David. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors. Right. And his body decayed just human. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. He got up out of that grave. Brothers, listen. The Greek word here for brothers, once again, is adelphoi, meaning brothers and sisters. All right, We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Isn't that good news? Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. We talked about that in a little baptismal class before church. All you gotta do is believe in Jesus. You believe that He makes you right with God. That's it. Everyone who believes in Jesus is made right in God's sight. That's powerful. It's almost so simple people trip over it, huh? That's why Scripture says Jesus is a stumbling stone. It's like it's it's too simple. Well, we want to make it hard. So if you believe in him, you're made right in God's sight. Something the law of Moses could never do. What did the law of Moses do? The law of Moses said this is a system of do's and don'ts. Good luck. The law of Moses says you got to sacrifice a bird and a goat and you got to do this and sprinkle blood and you got to show up and offer the sin for this. And then the high priest has to offer sin for this. You got to offer for your family. You can be unclean and sit outside of the camp. It's very complex. You've read the Old Testament. Say, man, I can't get through it. You should read through the Old Testament, the books of law. Why? Because it shows how much sinners need a savior. And no matter what they do, all the do's and don'ts, you can't save yourself. You just prove yourself to be more and more unrighteous. You say, man, I, I just realized that all the law is showing how much sin I have. Well, praise God. John the Baptist said it so well. He said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. <laughs> Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers. Wow, he's speaking strong now. He's de- the Apostle Paul is dealing with some, some hard-headed Jewish people here. And I know there's some Gentiles in the crowd, some non-Jews, but he's really hitting them hard here. He says, look, you mockers, quoting scripture, be amazed and die, quoting the Lord. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. Like, wow, can you imagine me closing out a sermon like that? Look, you mockers, be amazed and die. Wow. That's pretty aggressive. Like, he didn't pull any punches. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. It came over well somehow. You know, that's the anointing of God. <laughs> so many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, many people back then, even non-Jews, they converted to Judaism, all the system of the old school law, right? So there was Jews and the non-Jewish converts to Judaism, the Old Testament, they followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of whom? God. Let's talk about grace for a minute. Let's talk about the grace of God. I don't know if we'll finish this chapter, not tonight, but we'll see. Grace is God's undeserved favor, and or grace is God's empowerment for you to live right and do right and act right and speak right and, speak right and talk right walk right. All right? God's grace empowers you to live right. Some people think grace is a license to sin. No, scripture itself explains that. It debunks that. It says, "No, God forbid." It says, "Say, well, let's just let's just sin more so God's grace can abound. Let's just deliberately sin." No. Mm-mm. No. When you love the Lord, you don't practice sin. <clears throat> you can liken, and I love I love comparing our relationship with God To my relationship with my wife, why? Or your relationship as husband and wife, why? Because scripture says husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. It also says it's a mystery. We are the bride of Christ. How is that? You're getting ready for the marriage feast of the Lamb one day in heaven. You are his bride. You're his chosen one. You're the one he wants to be with for eternity. And marriage is a type and shadow of that. And what I've learned in marriage is I don't, This is me speaking because I want to do right as a man of God. I've made many mistakes in marriage. But one thing I don't want to do is deliberately hurt my wife, ever. Not on purpose. I don't want to do that. That's not my plan. I want to do right. I want to treat her right. I want to honor our vows. I want to be committed. And there's things that she's not crazy about. Well, I don't want to do that. And I'm naturally, naturally, and you can ask my baby sister, like father, like son, I have a tendency that when I notice you're irritated, especially if you're close to me, I get extra witty and I poke at you. My dad did that to us growing up. And you're like, oh, my gosh, Dad, I can't anymore. And I have a tendency, naturally, and my wife's like, baby, are you picking on me? I'm like, I thought it was funny. She's like, it's not funny anymore. She's like, the first two times were funny, <laughs> we're at seven, but who's counting, right? I'm like, you're counting, I, you know." But when you're relying on the grace of God, you continue to rely, I love that, rely and hope in and trust in and stay rooted and grounded in God's love, relying on the grace of God. That verse finishes off. The grace of God. It means you don't want to do something that would deliberately offend God. One verse says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What does grieve mean? That's a good King James Version word from 1611. Grieve means upset, bother, disrespect. Here's a good word for it, offend. I don't want to, I've been married, hey, this month, I need to tell you, I need to announce it Sunday too. This month, praise God, by God's grace, is our 15th anniversary. That's exciting. This month, September 28th. It's a while, huh? Some of y'all were just kids back then. Some of y'all weren't, alright But, It's my goal in life to not grieve my wife, to love her, to take care of her. And in the same way, my relationship with God, in relationship, covenant relationship, you do your best to please the one you're in covenant with, right? Say, am I going to take care of God? No, he takes care of me, but that's the power of God's covenant and his blood agreement with us. Remember, covenant comes from the Hebrew word, which means a cut which leads to the shedding of blood. That's what a covenant means. It's a blood covenant. And in a covenant, God says, look, you put me first and I'll give you everything you ever need. You take care of me by worshiping me and loving me and being in relationship with me. That's the only you can't really take care of God. But you say God says I created you for relationship with me. So you want to be a blessing to me? Then love me because I loved you first. That's what God says for covenant. And how do we fulfill that covenant? We don't want to live a life that grieves or offends God. We want to put Him first and treat Him right. Let's, let's go to verse 44, and I'll finish with this. We'll pray, and then we'll get ready to go and do the baptism. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. I'm praying for that here in Hobbs someday, but that would be a lot of people, huh? Where would we put if the whole entire city turned out to hear the word of the Lord? God was doing something at this time, something spectacular. And guess what? I believe you're going to see it in the United States of America again before it's all over. You're going to have a point where people stop, not everybody, but many will stop relying on the government and relying on all their physical uh, blessings that they have and all their their prized possessions. And they're going to turn and go, you know what? Jesus is the only way. It's going to happen again. Call it a revival. Call it a great awakening. I believe a revival is for those who have already accepted Jesus. An awakening is for those who wake up and say, Wow, I have not been living right. So a revival and a great awakening, I believe it's coming again, according to Scripture. Has to happen. Why? What has God's vision always been? This is real simple. And I will wrap it up with this. And we'll pray and take up our offering and we'll head, those that are going over there, we'll head to, the, to witness the baptisms. God's vision has always been a world full of his sons and daughters. That's real simple, isn't it? Say, why would, the Garden of Eden was God, he created us to be his children. He not only created us out of dirt, that's amazing to me, out of the elements, but then he breathed his own breath into us. He says, I'm going to create these Scripture says when God was there, the divine counsel, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. What is man? Mankind, man and woman. Scripture says he created them male and female, and he created them in his image. Wow, what an honor. And then he breathed his own breath in them to give them life. Why? He said, I want my children to have my life residing in them. He has a plan, and he always has, for you to live forever in his presence. I don't know who that is for tonight. But let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes, and we'll pray, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you because you're faithful. We thank you because nothing else even remotely compares to you. I thank you that you're preparing the hearts of the people tonight for this prayer right now. You've prepared them leading up to this moment. Those joining us on the live stream or those in the house, if there's anyone who says, you know what, Pastor Matt, I have never made Jesus my Lord and Savior. If I died tonight, I do not know where I would go. I'm not sure. Man, you better make sure. Scripture says it is appointed once for men, mankind, men and women to die. Just once for people to die. And after this, the judgment. So you want to make sure you head out into eternity covered in the blood of Jesus. You say, wow, what what does that mean? It means that you've accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. It's the only way to get to heaven. It's the only way to be right with God, to have peace with God, to have victory in this life and to do well in this life and to walk righteously and to live forever in heaven with the Lord one day. So if there's anyone joining us on the live stream or in this house who says, Pastor Matt, if I died tonight, I don't know where on earth I'd go. I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. You say, man, you use those words, that offends me. Well, be offended with God. That's in his word. I didn't make that up. Jesus talked about hell more than he did about heaven. Why? Because he doesn't want people to go there. Hell was not created for humans. It was created for Satan and his demons. But people reject Jesus. And they, they choose their own destiny. So if there's anyone in this house today, no one's looking at you, just me. You say, man, Pastor Matt, I need to get right with God. I need to accept Jesus and make him the Lord of my life. Would you raise your hand tonight, and I'm going to pray with you. Maybe someone on the live stream, maybe someone in this house. You say, man, I want to put my faith in the Lord. Is that you tonight? I will pray with you. I won't embarrass you at all. We're going to pray together. It's a step of faith. Take your time and think about it. I can't force you. I can't talk you into it. But man, those that have served God all these years, they say, man, I'm so glad I made that step, took that step to make Jesus the Lord of my life, for peace, to walk with God, and to one day be in heaven with him. Does anybody want to make Jesus the Lord of their life tonight? Let's pray together. Go ahead and with those heads bowed and those eyes closed, say, Heavenly Father, Everybody say it. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. Make this statement of faith. Say, "Say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. I accept the blood sacrifice for my sin. Say, I know that I can't save myself. Say this, say, save me, Lord, from hell and from my sins and from my past. Make this statement again. Say, I believe and I thank you, Lord. I'm so sorry for my sin. Now cleanse me in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a unique night. So everybody looking at me before we pray this prayer, and then I'm going to dismiss you for the baptism. If you say tonight, you know what? There was something in the Word that God spoke to me about tonight. God spoke to me specifically tonight. Would you raise your hand, and I'm going to pray for you as well. There's some of you. All right, let's pray. Bow your heads and close your eyes again. Let's pray. Father, I thank you because your Word has fallen on good ground. And I thank you, God, that you are speaking to us by your Word. There's always something in there for your people. We simply come to you humbly and say, Lord, we want to receive. Thank you tonight, Father, because you're faithful. Thank you tonight, Father, because you're doing a work in our lives. I thank you for all the families that have gathered tonight and the folks that aren't usually here on a Wednesday night, but they're here to see their family get baptized and witness that. Lord, we honor them tonight. We speak a blessing over them. We're so delighted that they're here, and we know, Lord, that you're doing an amazing work in their lives. Now touch them. Even let them feel your presence, not only in this prayer and walking out of the sanctuary, but when we baptize those folks tonight, let them feel the presence of God Almighty.